Net zero is nutso. Hi, everybody. Brian Sussman here is The Brian Sussman Show. Thank you for listening. This is episode 210. And for those who are able to watch this on video, this is episode seven of The Brian Sussman Show, seen at YouTube and Rumble. And of course, this audio presentation is heard on all the major audio platforms. I thank you for your support, and I thank you for subscribing wherever you may be watching or listening. You're about to hear from the world's most foremost plastic expert. Now, why would I bring him into the program? Uh, Well, one, he's a great interview. Two, he's got a wonderful book out that you're going to be hearing, and you can download this book for free. But beyond that, if we really go to net zero, you know, a world where there's no more fossil fuel, then that would mean, obviously, no more petroleum products, and that would mean no plastic. You see, their goal is to kick us back into the Stone Age. Oh, yeah, the elites, the high and mighty, they'll live high on the hog. The rest of us peons will be living in uh, caves. Well, maybe that's an exaggeration, but my point is net zero is is not even silly. It's stupid. So we're going to talk about net zero. Then I'm going to bring in this expert. He's going to bust all the myths in this busting green myths episode. What are some of those myths? Well, certainly you've heard about the the plastic island out in the middle of the Pacific. Or is it the Atlantic? Or what ocean is it in? Because no one's ever been able to verify that this island of plastic exists. (laughs) So he's going to break down all sorts of myths for us. And I think you're going to find it incredibly entertaining and informative. That's always my goal with these podcasts. So with that in mind... Let's go to the audio from the video. Thank you very much. God bless your day, and away we go. I have been looking forward to this episode. Hi, everyone. Brian Sussman here. We're going to bust myths in this edition of The Brian Sussman Show. And I'm Brian Sussman. More on me at briansussman.com. If you're listening on audio, this is episode 210. If you're listening or watching, I should say, on our new video series, This is episode seven. You're about to hear from a guy who loves breaking myths. Myths about plastic. Oh, come on. You've heard about the the giant island out in the middle of the Pacific, the floating island of plastic bottles. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Try find pictures of that on the internet. This is a myth. Okay, You're going to hear from the plastics expert. In just a moment. Now, why am I going down this road? Well, I want to talk about net zero. Because if we really move into a world someday where we no longer have fossil fuels, then we're not going to have plastic either. Because plastic is a product, a valuable product, that comes to us by way of petroleum. So if you're going to go net zero, you're going to say no to... (laughs) <laughs> to anything that produces carbon dioxide <laughs> in, in its manufacture thereof, uh, then you're going to have to ban plastics, right? So there's this story that just came out. This is from, this is from UC, well, this is from Irvine, where they have uh, UC Irvine, which is amazing. It's a, it's a, it's a school of some brilliant students and, and uh, academicians. You would think that some of that, that, Genius would filter down to the city council in Irvine. 
because you have a city councilman in Irvine. Her name is Kathleen Tresseter. She wants to start banning plastic in that town. Now, there are bans like this that have gone into effect all over California, but this is a renewed effort, and it'll probably pick up some steam. But she does not like single-use plastic items like straws or diningware or plastic containers you might use for food. She doesn't want any of that. Says it's just absolutely wrong. Then she says some things that are straight out of, you know, environmental mythology. She said only less than 9% of plastic is actually recycled. That's, that's a made up, that's made up. There's nothing to substantiate that. When you see figures like that, it's a, a bunch of, um, uh, it's, it's a bunch of activists sitting together saying, gosh, I wonder what the percentage actually is that's recycled as opposed to goes just into the landfill. They're making this stuff up. In fact, the EPA's gotten involved in this in many cases, especially when it comes to global warming, but the EPA says globally only 9% of plastic is recycled. Again, these are made-up figures. Then this councilwoman also goes on to say something that, quite frankly, is very, very disturbing. She said, as people are, she said, as people are growing, even before they're born, they're growing around plastic. It's a health hazard, she says, associated with cancer and other ailments. No proof. No proof. That you're going to hear from the world's foremost plastic expert in just a moment, Dr. Chris DeArmond. Dr. DeArmond is a chemist. He specializes in plastics. His kids came home from school and said some outrageous things about plastic that they heard from their teacher, you know, that it, it uh, has a life expectancy of a thousand years before it decomposes. I mean, they probably heard about the, the floating island, all of this. And he, he asked, where did you hear this? And he became so irritated by what they were saying that he decided to write a book. It's, it's very much like with so many authors, including yours truly. We write these books. A book is incredibly painstaking to write you know you, you you write a book over and a friend of mine who's ghost written oh gosh dozens of books for many people you would know many political figures they, they don't write the books many media personalities they don't write the books they hire people like my friend he ghost writes that's what he does for a living he writes books for all these people you've heard of all these people you've seen on tv when he heard I was going to write my first book, he said, oh, great, just what the world needs, another book. Be ready to rewrite it 27 times. I said, what? He goes, no, you're going to have to rewrite the book 27 times, not 26, 27. His point was, it's painstaking to write a book. But generally speaking, authors write these books because we come, become passionate. I became passionate about the global warming thing because of all of the arguments I was having in the TV newsroom on the subject and arguments I was having with people who didn't know what the heck they were talking about regarding the environment. I said, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book about this. And my research led me to realize, holy mackerel, this is huge. And it has nothing to do with the environment. It has everything to do with 
socialism, communism, Marxism, and so that's kind of my wheelhouse. So Dr. DeArmit's wheelhouse is plastics and busting the myths. You're going to enjoy this interview in just a couple minutes. But let's get to, oh, by the way, and he, he has a book. The book is called The Plastics Paradox. You can go online, plasticsparadox.com. You can download the book for free. That's how passionate he is about this. No charge. You can download his book for free. We'll get to the interview in just a moment. But as long as we're talking about net zero, this is a story. You have to hear this. This is just how stupid the whole thing is. This is, uh, you know, my home state of California. Oh, gosh, It used to be a great state. It's just been ruined by idiots. This is May 8th, 2022. So there was a press release that was sent out. The entire media in California and throughout probably much of America and even the world picked up on this. It was like, all right, we have done it. We're moving towards the future of net zero. May 8th, 2022. California said, we did it. 103% of the energy we used on this particular date, May 8th, 2022, 103% of the energy was created by solar and wind. That's what they said. Now, this broke the record that was set just a week earlier of 99.9%. Boy, this is really, really green. So, again, moving towards the Holy Grail, net zero. Actually, the press release, for those of you who saw, I think it was my episode three, Yellow Journalism, this press release may have been, <laughs> may as well have been written by Pulitzer. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, you've got to see the episode on Yellow Journalism. <laughs> <laughs> because this was a joke. Okay, first of all, let me talk to you about May 8th. This was a Sunday. Sunday is the day of the week where there is less power being used than any other day of the week. Second, May 8th was a day where the temperatures were very mild. Afternoon high temperatures around the state were actually a little more mild than they usually would be. They were below average. However, however, when you get up into the High Sierra on that day, May 8th, you know, the High Sierra, many of the towns are five, six, seven thousand 7,000 feet high. Uh, <laughs> the morning was very, very cold, very, very cold, which means that there were gas heaters being used to heat up those homes early in the morning. And by the way, all of the water in California, I believe it's 70% of the water heaters in California are powered by natural gas as well. Well, guess what? It's interesting because the natural gas used for things like water heaters and home heating units or even used for you know stoves as well as uh, ranges, that's not accounted for in this press release by the state of California saying, we did it, all solar, all wind. No, no, you had water heaters, natural gas. You had home heaters on natural gas. <laughs> you had stoves and ranges on natural gas. So they kind of don't tell you about that part. The other part of this is, 
during the early morning hours, you know, just after dawn, solar's not working then. Sun's not at the right, right pitch. In the evening hours, same thing. Sun's not at the right pitch. So when they say, yes, we did it, 103% of the energy came from solar wind. They're leaving out a lot, aren't they? You see, this is what they like to do. They like to just take a little grain of truth and blow it up into something that isn't truthful at all. It's an absolute myth. So, yeah, that's what they did. Um, they said that uh, we were doing it, but on that particular day, if you were doing all solar and wind, it was basically during <laughs> the late morning and early afternoon. When it comes to solar and wind, as, as many of you know, uh, solar and wind requires a natural gas backup. You need to have a reliable backup because when the clouds pass over and solar isn't being generated, or as I just mentioned, in the morning or the early evening or overnight, or with the wind, if there's a variability in the wind and the turbines can't spin properly in order to create power, you have to have a natural gas backup. So this is the great myth. We can't do it with all solar and wind. You're going to have to have a backup, and it will be natural gas. It's the cheapest. Because the left can't stand nuclear power. They'd like to get rid of what nuclear power we have left in this country, just like they're doing in California. And they don't like hydroelectricity either, because hydroelectricity requires reservoirs. And they see the reservoirs as being unnatural. So with all that in mind, <laughs> I think you're really going to love the interview that we have. Uh, Dr. Armit is a wonderful chemist who has written the book, The Plastics Paradox, online at plasticsparadox.com. As I mentioned, you can download it for free. And let's bring him into the program right now. Dr. D. Armit, thank you for joining me here on The Brian Sussman Show. How are you today? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show, Brian. I really appreciate it. Well, I can't wait to talk to you because there are some myths that we need to bust right off the bat. And, and probably the first we'll get to in just a moment is the one everyone's heard about. And that's there's a floating island of plastic out there in, in the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean or some ocean. We'll talk about that in yep. just a moment. But uh, Chris, when it comes to all of these bans that are going into effect in somewhat of an increasing order regarding plastic, you know, plastic bottles, plastic at large. What is really happening here? Is this all a, a, a first rung of net zero or what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think a lot of it is um, politicians wanting votes and doing whatever people want, whether they make sense or not. So uh, I just saw today that Stockholm reversed their ban on plastic bags because they went and checked the science. There's actually 30 peer-reviewed life cycle studies in the world on, on grocery bags, and every single one ever done says that the plastic bag causes least harm. And this reminds, so why would you ban or tax the least harmful solution and drive people to cotton and paper and uh, biodegradable bags, which are actually massively more harmful? And it reminds me of uh, something Thomas Sowell said. I'm sure you know who he is. He's a very famous economist. Of and he course. said, whenever you hear a proposal, ask yourself three questions. And that is, um, uh, what is it? Uh, where's the evidence? What are the alternatives? And how much will it cost? <laughs> and if you ask those three questions before you make policy, you won't make bad policy that you have to reverse. And that's what's going on now. People are waking up after having increased harm and then subsequently looked at the evidence. And I hope that um, 
this there's a proposal now at Kathleen Tresseder in Irvine, California has proposed making bans and limitations and so forth with zero evidence yes. and backed by the Surf Rider Foundation. It's like, hey, I've got a bunch of surfer dudes who think that what I'm saying is a good idea. It's like not a single scientist among that group. So uh, kind of puzzling. Well, I've always thought if we if we truly ever did go to net zero, and, and that's all the big talk, as you know, but it's a lot of fluff, in my opinion. If mm -hmm. we went to net zero, that would mean you would have to ban the production of plastics. And plastics are in everything. Every Tesla, what, I don't know what percentage of a Tesla automobile is plastic, but plastics are everywhere. We we rely on plastic in this day and age in which we live, correct? Yeah, it's interesting. I looked into this net zero thing. So the green groups are quick to point out the amount of carbon dioxide created by making plastics, right? So they give you some big number which no human brain can comprehend. <laughs> and if you actually check out, because it's important, as you know, as a professional journalist, award-winning journalist, you have to look at perspective. You have to zoom out and say, hey, where is this in the big picture? And when you do that, you find out that plastics are under 1% of materials, under 1% of waste, and they create 0.5% of all the CO2, right? And that's just in making the plastic. And the environmental groups never look and say, well, hang on a minute, how much CO2 are we saving by using the plastic? Because they make our cars lighter, they make our airplanes lighter, right. they protect our food, they insulate our homes. And when you actually look at the other side of the equation, how much is saved it is more than the 0.5% created to make the plastic in the first place. So it always makes me laugh when plastics people say, oh, we're trying to get to net zero. And I'm like, well, then you'd have to increase harm because you're already negative. You're already net negative if you do the calculation. And it's the same for the fossil fuel situation for the same reasons. Well, isn't it interesting? Uh, generally speaking, the radical environmentalists, they don't want to be bothered with facts. And they right. especially don't want to be bothered with statistics. Uh, for example, when you tell them what percentage of CO2 is actually created by fossil fuels, right. and then you explain to them what percentage of the atmosphere, the greenhouse gases at large, are actually uh, you know, carbon dioxide related it's so minuscule, but I know. they don't want to hear those facts, do they? They they don't I, want the facts to get in the way of their storyline. Well, not only their storyline, but their money making. If you look at the bottom line, you look at the bank accounts of these people, they're making vast sums by telling lies. And even the president of Greenpeace, the former president of Greenpeace, I've got his book here, Dr. Patrick Moore, yes. he left and said that their business model is to tell you lies to get donations. And they always make up some lie you can never check, like something about polar bears or some floating island that doesn't <laughs> exist in the middle of the Pacific that you could never get to and so forth. And uh, and it's very it's very shameful that uh, people who are posing as good people are actually bad money-grabbing people who are uh, causing more harm than anybody. So I have to ask you this question then. The floating island, uh, I alluded to this in the beginning of our interview. You just mentioned that as well. I've I've heard this from, you know, graduates of Stanford have yeah. told me, no, there is a floating island of plastic out in the middle of the ocean. Now, I've gone online to look for photos. I can't find them. That's right. What is this all about? I can send you a PhD thesis on that. So some girl um, or a lady, I guess she's older, she did an investigation to see how this myth came about. And she interviewed the captain who discovered these gyres. And he said, it's really frustrating because journalists come to him every day and say, hey, sail me out to this thing. I want to take a picture for my newspaper. And he has to tell them there's nothing to see there. It's just an area with slightly more plastic than the rest of the ocean that has almost no plastic in it, right? So you can literally swim through it and not detect anything. It's it's like a, in the worst area, it's like one game. You know, when you play Monopoly, you have these die. Right. A little plastic die that you, if you had one of those per Olympic pool of water, that's how bad it is in the very worst place you can find, which is still too much, right? It shouldn't be there. But what we find is that um, we're told by these green groups, we have 10 million tons going into the, uh, 
into the ocean every year. And what they don't realize is that, that was a guess made by somebody called Jambeck with no data whatsoever. It was just like, let's imagine how much plastic there is. Let's And let's assume that 2% of it jumps into the ocean. How much would that be? Oh, 10 million tons, right? And that's not at all the case. They've now got 50 years of data showing that she was wrong by a factor of a thousand. And it's not increasing either. It went up in the past when we were worse with pollution and it's gone down since then. So green groups tell us it's 10 million tons a year and it's an emergency and it's going up exponentially. And science, like 10 studies over 50 years, says very low amounts and not increasing. So here's our other question. Do plastics take about a thousand years to biodegrade? Because we've all heard that one as well. No, that's one of my specialist areas. I was on 60 Minutes with Scott Pelley talking about polymer degradation and how plastics you put in the body degrade so quickly that they're not even fit for purpose, right? Plastics degrade so quickly that industry spends $5 billion a year on stabilizers for plastics, right? So they look stable to our naked eye because regular people aren't chemists. And what they don't realize is there's stabilizers in there, $5 billion worth, and the plastic would just fall to pieces and crumble in front of their eyes without it. So uh, yeah, that's a complete myth. And it, and it did mystify me because I've read hundreds, if not thousands of articles on plastic stabilization. So I know it's a myth. I've even published myself on that area. So I went to look, where did this myth come from? Somebody must have started it. And as far as I can work out, it comes from a book called Marine Pollution by Martha Gorman. On page eight on the left-hand side, it just says, plastics take hundreds of years to degrade. Just made it up with no evidence. There's no citation. There's never been a single scientific publication that said that in the history of the world. My gosh. And then they yeah. run with it as if it's fact. Yeah. And, and let me point something out, right? I'm not here to defend plastics. I want to, I want people to make rational decisions so that our children can grow up in a better world based on things that are actually true. If there are 30 studies on plastic bags or bags in general, and every single one says plastics are dramatically less harmful, let's go with that, right? It's not even close. If we look at the degradation, if there's a thousand studies, peer-reviewed studies by scientists saying that they degrade quickly and zero studies saying the opposite, let's go with the thousand that say that it does degrade, right? I'm not, it's not even a, it's not even one opinion versus another opinion. It's against, you know, massive amounts of scientific evidence against zero. So how did you get involved in this pursuit of study? How did you become the plastic expert? What was, yeah. what was, how well, did the, that, how did that happen? Well, the funny thing, well, how it originally happened was my professor, Norman Billingham, who's a legend uh, on plastic stabilization. He sat down next to me and said, hey, um, you're studying chemistry. And I think you should study a minor of plastics because, um, you know, it's a big area and there's never enough qualified people and there's never enough qualified scientists. So I help companies to make uh, better plastics, make them last longer, make them have interesting effects. And that's my job. This environmental thing was my hobby. And it only started up because um, my kids came home and they've been told lies by their teachers. And I was really angry. You have to be very, you've written books. You have to be very angry about something to write a book because it takes a stupendous amount of energy <laughs> to uh, to finish the book, to find all the data, to support your arguments and and to not even support your arguments, to, to read everything and then decide what you think, hopefully. So um, I wrote the book because I was angry that my kids have been lied to and we can't we can't have a better future with, um, you know, kids indoctrinated with lies. Well, and it's true. And you see so many uh, who become outspoken in this particular area. You mentioned Patrick Moore. He's a perfect example. When he saw how Greenpeace was being used mm -hmm. for purposes that had never been intended. And when so many others, I'm thinking of John Clauser, who just won the 2022 physics uh, Nobel. Yeah, uh, here's a guy who had always been rather silent on the subject of CO2, global warming, climate change, but it's as if he'd finally had enough and he, he yeah. had to start talking about this. So you're right, there yeah. comes a point where you just start to boil over and you'll speak the truth even if it becomes offensive to others, correct? 
There's a few things at stake. One thing is that these environmental groups, they're making hundreds of millions by telling us lies. So they have professional marketers, they have huge amounts of clout, they have unlimited access to media because they're seen to be the good guys. And you're right. And they have uh, a very powerful uh, media entity on their side. Uh, they've got uh, very loud and in many cases, very popular politicians on their side as well. Mm -hmm. So it's an uphill battle, but doctor, we need guys like you speaking the truth on these issues. There's a couple more that we really need to dive into sure. because I go to certain stores now and I can't get, I can't get a plastic straw. I'm yeah. I met with a paper straw that actually has an odd taste and sensation in my mouth. I yeah. can't get plastic forks and utensils at certain stores any longer when I go to the salad bar because they're banning plastics. And now I have something that seems like it's wood but it really feels odd on my tongue what is going on with the the banning of those types of plastics yeah well the plastic straw one is a great case because it should be obvious to anyone with an iq above 60 just say no to a straw if you want to be green right i'm sure there's a few people in wheelchairs handicapped people who need a straw and that's a fair point right but right. just say no to the straw i'm not talking you don't have to be albert einstein to work that out right so and then if you do have to have a straw you just want a straw you can't resist one you look at the life cycle study and what does that show it shows the plastic straw is the greenest option of all the options available so we've got plastics in the ocean we've got to ban the straws and then you hear these ridiculous stories about straws being found in the noses of various sea creatures again this yeah. is all made up correct yeah if in fact if you do a search for a fake turtle st uh, straw my website comes up, I think, is the number one hit in Google, <laughs> right? Because I have a whole web page. If you go to phantomplastics.com, there's fake turtle straw. And this is the amazing thing, right? There's 200 million views of that video, and it's grotesque to watch. So, But I made myself watch it all the way through to see if it was a plastic straw. And the woman says, what is it? What is it? Is it a worm? And then the guys, and then and then she goes, oh, no, he bit on it. He says it's plastic right? That is not science, right? I can tell you there are proper scientific methods to determine what something's made made of and biting them is not one of them, right? There's infrared spectroscopy. There's a hundred other methods they could have used. So I wrote to them and said, did you ever analyze that thing? No, they said. So I'm like, you've got no evidence it was plastic. Nope. And I said, well, how do you know it's a straw then? And they said, we don't, it could have been anything. So 200 million people have seen a video about a plastic straw up a turtle's nose with zero evidence it was a straw and zero evidence it was plastic. And that's the world we live in. It's so easy to spread BS. And by that, I mean bad science, of course. Um, and, and people are not checking anything. Okay. Well, there's also, the, there's also the thing that I've heard about microplastics being found in human blood. I mean, you've yes. heard this as well, correct? I have. I got a whole report on that as well. So... I learned a lot um, looking at that topic. And one is that these green groups or so-called green groups, they're really fake, um, are very good at branding things because they're prof professional marketers, right? That's how they True. make their money. True. So they took something which we all know, which is called dust, right? Every, every solid we know, they say plastics are bad, right? Because they degrade to give solids, right? First they say they don't degrade. And then they say, well, they do degrade to give solids. So they're inconsistent. But if you take... Like, look at a leaf, right? What happens when that gets old? It degrades to give particles, right? If I look at a rock, it becomes a, a stone and then a pebble and then gravel and then sand and then dust. And it's the same with dead skin cells. It's the same with every solid we know degrades to give particles. And they all get a pass. But as soon as it comes to plastics, oh, my Lord, you know, stop the press. You know, plastics are giving particles. So... We know dust is all around us. We've been breathing it for millennia. Our bodies are ready for dust, right? We've we've grown up with it since we were cave people. So our body's used to dealing with dust. And then we have to ask ourselves, is it dangerous? And how much of it's plastic? And is the plastic part a danger? So I looked into all of that. 
plastic is 0.001% of the dust that we're ingesting, right? And and the World Wildlife Fund likes to say we eat a credit card of it a week. It would take 20,000 years to eat a credit card of plastic, according to the latest peer-reviewed study, right? 20,000 years. And meanwhile, right, and they've tested this plastic and found it's as safe as clay or cellulose, which is what plants are made of, right? So people are obsessing over 0.001% of dust and mm. ignoring things which are toxic, like lead, cadmium, arsenic, you know, other toxins, things mm -hmm. that cause cancer like quartz and wood dust causes cancer, right? So they're ignoring all of the actual proven dangers and obsessing over the tiny amount of safe plastic. It's amazing what I hear of cities like Irvine in Southern California, because I think Irvine, of course, wants to ban plastic. And uh, yes. I'm thinking of, you know, UC Irvine is a, it's a brainiac school. These are really smart people who have yeah. just a, generally a, a technical background of some sort going to this great school. And I'm thinking, how in Irvine, where there's this great school of, of, of wonderful academia, academians, and academicians, how could they possibly be thinking to do something as silly as banning plastic? It's as if they've decided to empty their brain and go with falsehood. I, I heard a thing the other day, 2% of people think, 3% of people think they think, and the other 95% would rather die than think. And that is the world we're living in. Everyone's just, <laughs> and the other thing we're dealing with is everyone is in groups, right? We've got this group identity. I'm in this group. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm black and white. I'm a Jew. I'm whatever, right? People are obsessed with these groups. And it's just a way to divide and conquer and control us because everyone's abandoned individual thought. And they're just thinking, well, what am I supposed to think as a Democrat, as a Republican, as a black person, as a white person, as a straight person, as a gay person? It's, it's completely derailed the old fashioned way, which is to look at the facts and make sensible decisions based on them. So when you take a look at the, the big historical picture and you see how dangerous regimes have come into play, um, they do so much of their dirty work with myths. I know, I read that with, in your book. We, and I want to get your thoughts on that, you know, because yeah. that's, that's my wheelhouse. That's what keeps me up at night. Yes. Um, but I, I'm curious where you stand on this in terms of where you think certain players might want to go with things like banning plastics in the name of stopping climate change or global warming? I have some thoughts. First, I should say I have no political party. I'm completely independent and I'm not trying to, and I'm also not supporting plastics. I'm just supporting rational decision based yes, on things that truth, are true. Truth, yes. So I don't have an opinion about a particular party or some global uh, group of elites or something trying to do something, although that probably is the case. I've seen very strange posts from the World Economic Forum and UNEP and, and large organizations with credibility. And when you check what they say, it, don't, it doesn't check out. The science right. says the opposite. So right. there is some big, powerful organization behind this, but I don't know what their goals are because I'm not a part of it. I can tell you that a whole drive to remove plastics, if it were successful, would destroy humanity, right? We would have no internet. We would have no electricity to our homes. We would have no fresh water to our houses. Right. We'd have no pacemakers. We'd have nothing, right? The, we'd be sitting there in a, you know, in a cave somewhere uh, wishing that we hadn't done what we've done to ourselves. So, um, so there is a very big danger to um, just blindly do things without, uh, because somebody wants you to and without checking it yourself. Yeah, and that's that is quite frightening. But again, I I like the fact that you're in this realm because you're pursuing truth. And right. and and truth tellers are needed in this day and age in which we live 
again, political parties aside, political philosophies aside, it shouldn't matter when we're all just going after the truth as you right. are in this realm of plastics. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on the show because 99% of reporters don't care about or journalists don't care about the truth. I even well, bought with my own money for several hundred dollars a list of all the environmental reporters at Bloomberg, Reuters, New York Times, Washington Post, BBC, all over the place. The USA Today wrote to all of them and not one of them, none of the emails bounced. They were all genuine emails. Not one of them would even look at a page of evidence. Mm -hmm. That's how bad it is. Although I will say I, I did manage to correct the BBC. They had a picture of a turtle with a bag photoshopped around their ne its neck and some bad data. And they updated it when I called them on it. And then a lady from USA Today was tricked into publishing some nonsense about plastic pipes. And when I showed her the evidence, she was aghast and she immediately published an update story with the facts in it. So it is possible to get through, but only to a very small percentage of journalists. The rest of them are just publishing rubbish for advertising dollars. Yeah, that's great. And it's it's refreshing to hear when very various reporters will have a change of heart and realize, wow, I've been sold a bill of goods. I need to make a correction. So I'm glad you were able to share that with me because that's refreshing. Yeah. Emily Lacoz is her name and she works for USA Today and she was mortified. She said, I feel like I've been professionally violated by these wow. people. I took them at face value. And wow. she was a real genuine person who immediately within days published an update. Wow. Doctor, it's been wonderful speaking with you. I appreciate your pursuit of the truth. And we're going to drive people to your website. So we've got, first of all, plasticsparadox.com. That's the book website. And then you also right. mentioned phantomplastics.com, correct? Yes, that's right. And I do want to say that this book is for free, right? I'm not here trying to sell a book, which is what people immediately think. The book is a free download in five languages. You don't even need to put in your name or anything. There's no mailing list. It's just free. And see, that again speaks to me as a man who's really pursuing the truth and wants to distribute it as well. So, doctor, thanks for spending some time with us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. It's been a real, a real pleasure and a real honor. Well, that is one solid dude for sure. Don't forget the book, The Plastics Paradox. It's available online. You can download it for free. If you enjoyed the interview, please make sure you share it. Let's get the word out about this guy and the book and the truth. And of course, if you like today's episode, make sure you subscribe. If you're not already a subscriber, I would really appreciate that. Next week, you're going to hear an interview that I recently conducted with the producer of a new documentary is called Grid Down, Power Up. It talks about our energy grid and how really shaky it is. You remember the story from Texas a couple years ago where their grid just went out? We're going to explain that in great detail, why that happened. And by the way, the answer is not solar and wind. I just want to let you know that. The answer is not solar and wind. We need energy that is deliverable 24-7. So we're going to talk about that next week. In the meantime, I certainly appreciate your support. God bless you, my friends. And until next time.